Yeah, Mr. Sani, you were talking about the era of the 2000 to the 2008 financial crisis. I mean, let's start with that. Lah. What was your, what happened back then? Mm. And uh, are we seeing something similar right now? Yeah. Well, it's, um, back then, it was very much a, a crisis as we all know. We, we know it as a dot-com crisis, right? 2000, the Nasdaq started to, 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 the bubble started to burst. What a lot of people are probably unaware of is basically that situation ended fairly quickly in the sense that um, 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 it quickly moved away from the dot-com. It became a corporate scandal issue soon after that. There was um, uh, Enron, WorldCom, uh, I think even Arthur Anderson had had, had, an, had an issue. There were corp- several corporate scandals that that surfaced um, um, after after the do- so called the uh, the bulk of the dot com uh, bursting uh, in in in, in two thousand. Um, soon after that, uh, we had basically nine eleven, uh, the attacks on the World Trade Center. Um, after that, we had basically also SARS. Um, if you remember, SARS was actually back then, 2002, if I'm not wrong. And soon after that, we had a, we had a consequence of, of the, the attack on the World Trade Center, which is the invasion of Afghanistan and later on even um, uh, invasion of Iraq. Um, so while it started off as a dot-com crisis, the markets could just not, couldn't recover because there was a series of of um, external factors, I would say, uh, because they were not related to the stock market, um, and and therefore it really dragged on um, um, for for a couple of years. So from the year two thousand to two thousand and three, and and ask anybody like me who's old old enough, and they'll say that was the last time where we had a really serious recession, um, a prolonged one. Uh, because thereafter, the only other recession we had was in 2008 and 2009, and that was fairly brief, thanks to to the introduction of quantitative easing, um, and even the 2020 uh, COVID one was very brief. I mean, it wasn't even a recession, so to say, um, uh, wasn't felt at all in the financial markets. So, and and that's why I worry sometimes. Um, um, like Sinji, you yourself, and and your peers, you come from a generation which has has you've not gone through. Um, um, when you walk into into property showrooms, it's empty. Uh, when you you know <laughs> when you look at the markets, it's like forever, uh, either going down or just not going anywhere. Um, um, buying the dips was 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 never a a, a a thing to do because everybody just got their fingers burnt, um, and markets were just chopping all the way down and such. So so it's it's a situation where I think there's there's some resemblance now uh, when I look at, at at what's happening in 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 the markets today. But I would also add um, that this time around it's it's unique because. I don't think it's only the year 2000, but I think we're also getting some semblance of 2008. Uh, and if, if you allow me to jump over to 2008, then 2008 was not an uh, external-led 
implosion uh, crisis, but a more of an internal implosion. We all know about the subprime crisis and and how um, the U.S. especially uh, uh, was 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 uh, hit very hard. Uh, we had you know um, uh, Freddie, Fannie, Mac, uh, May. Uh, we had uh, Beth Turns, uh, we had AIG, uh, and a whole bunch of, 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 of financial institutions spread over to Europe. Uh, we had Northern Rock and and, 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 and and so on and so forth. So so that was basically the financial system coming under stress. So very, very internal, uh, kind of like internal implosion, so to say, uh, and very confined in, in that sense. Um, and because the financial sector is the bloodline of, of, of the world economy and that, that really hit the world economy quite bad. But still it was it was very focal focused on, on, on the financial sector. So I think we're also seeing something like that now. We are there are elements of, of of certain stresses in the financial system which we think that could implode. And yet we have external stuff like you know Ukraine, Russia, high oil prices and so so, you know, for the, I, I don't want to scare people, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, um, having experienced both these um, um, external lab crisis, internal implosion kind of crisis, and when I look at what we're going through today, it's, it's, it, it can get quite scary. Yeah, yeah uh, tying back to what you always mentioned previously, right? You were saying that right now is everything bubble because the 2008 and the 2009 financial crisis, that was in particular just the housing bubble. And when we go back to uh, stretch a bit further back to 2001, that was the uh, a dot com bubble. Yeah. So so, but things are a bit. Although we see a bit of similarities, right? We 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 made a comparison just now. But in particular, let's talk about the inflation rate, right? In 2001 to 2008, during the financial crisis, the collapse of the Lehman Brothers, right? Inflation only stood at what 5.61 percent. Uh, uh. But right now. Can you, can you explain why, you know, inflation is just boom over the recent two years? It's just like, wow, you know, we, we've seen worse before. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you kind of explained just now that uh, over the previous from 2000 to 2008, it was yeah. it just a slow bleed. So I'm thinking that, yeah, it's probably worse than what we are seeing right now. But when we are talking about prices increase itself, right, it's just, it, it doesn't add up to me. So, oh. <laughs> We we are seeing kind of like a perfect storm for inflation. Um, you open any economic textbook, textbook, and you will find that uh, the definition of inflation, basically, of course, is higher prices. But there are two there are two um, sources of it. Uh, one is uh, demand pull um, and cost push. Um, so demand pull inflation is basically when aggregate demand. Uh, individuals, companies, um, the, um, the demand coming from this group of people, even governments, uh, pushes the price of, 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 of goods and services higher because uh, um, of the higher demand. So it's a demand side phenomena. Um, and there's a cost push side, which is a supply side, uh, which is basically um, um, the inability to supply uh, enough goods, therefore causing prices to go up. Uh, because after all, um, by definition, inflation is too much money chasing after too few goods and too much money can be you know you can always say it's it's it's, it's demand uh, behind it so it's really too much too much demand and too little supply uh, is is an imbalance which causes prices to go high you can even have just one of it too much demand prices will go high too little supply prices will go high you have too much demand coupled with too little supply and this is what you get you get today uh, and this is really the situation we are in because on one hand, 
um, you've had the the Federal Reserve and all G7 central banks printing money over the past ten years like crazy. Um, and, and so everybody has, as you mentioned, everything bubbles. So so all asset prices have gone up. Everybody's felt very wealthy. People on the crypto side were, you know, making tons of money. Uh, people were just buying stuff and so on and so forth. Um, so, so demand was actually far way above what we call the optimal. I mean, I don't tend not to bring in technical terms, but way optimal above the long run, you know, uh, uh, optimal point. Um, on the supply side, um, uh, we had we had or we continue to have uh, a disruption in in in, in supply, um, disruption in supply chain even chip shortages um, um, and, and, and so on and so forth, weather-related stuff. Um, so put them together now, it's basically you have too much money slash demand chasing after too few goods. Not only too few goods, but much fewer goods than ought to be the case. Because left alone, we, we don't even have enough goods compared to what we ought to have because of the supply chain disruption, weather, so on and so forth. So, this is where the accumulation of these two factors, to me, uh, has caused the perfect storm uh, with respect to inflation. And that's why we're seeing multi-decade numbers and such, which is, again, you when you look at it from this perspective, you understand, okay, yeah, it's not always we get both these things coming together. It's not always we get money supply demand um, um, uh, driven so aggressive where 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 do you see central uh, federal reserve printing 4 trillion dollars over 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 a period of 18 to 24 months stuff like that you know where do you see supply being cut out from the world system ie the ukraine ukraine and russia are actually very large soft commodity uh, suppliers of wheat russian gas or russian natural gas to to europe which may not be switched on um, um, over the next 10 days uh, 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 because there's this pipeline that, that, that's now switched off uh, and you're taking away again 40% of supply. Uh, so so these are really very unique situations um, and it just happened to come all together. So when you say 9.1, 40-year high, yeah, this is the result of it. Yeah, it's just the perfect storm of... Uh all the catastrophes combining together and you know there we have it uh, the printing of money itself we are we are not even talking about the true extent of the printing of money right mr sunny because like in the past two years of covid alone the federal reserve the asset balance sheet if i can bring it up later for you guys to see in the audience they are printing five times more money yeah compared to uh, 10 years ago they doubled their assets in the span of two years where previously it took them 10 years to do it and if we zoom out even further, uh, the, 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 the entire world, or maybe the US, I think maybe it's just tied to the US, has accumulated two centuries of debt. We talked about this also, Mr. Sunny. Two centuries of debt in the yeah. span of less than 13 months. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, we can really see the uh, extent of money printing, but I don't think we can fathom how much really is, is, is going on right now. And allow me to just rest on the uh, CPI part, uh, in particular uh, consumer price index, 9.1%. Is it just only 9.1%? And how do people, like, are, are the, uh, the economists there failing their math or what, Mr. Sunny? Because <laughs> it doesn't feel like what 9.1%, you know. And um, if you look at US, let's, let's talk about US first, then later we'll shift to Malaysia. If you, if you look at US, prices across the board has, have risen at least 
15, 20%, maybe even 30%. You look at the price of meat, you look at the price of uh, real estate, mortgage, everything. Mm. But at the end of the day, the CPI numbers come out as, you know, just like 9.1%. So what's going on here, Mr. Sunny? I guess it, well, that could be, um, we always feel that way. I mean, you say that uh, we always feel that uh, uh, the actual inflation is much higher. Um, it could be a technicality because CPI is after all a basket of, of goods that households are supposed to buy every month. Statistics department will do a survey of the, on the same same house, same goods. They, 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 they set a particular number of goods that household buys. Um, and, and this is not only goods that you see in, in, in terms of um, food items. Uh, these are also education, insurance, hospital fees, and, and a whole bunch of stuff. So, so um, from that technical perspective, um, we always feel that, you know, and, and, and we're always very close to, 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 very sensitive to food prices. So yes, food prices may have gone up, but um, again, some other stuff may still be lagging a little bit. And those other stuff carry weightage in that basket. So you could also say it's skewed because to us, what's important is food, transport, and and stuff, and and you know the two most volatile components, energy and 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 and, and food. Uh, those have gone up a lot. But I think, to me, actually, um, um, uh, this this nine point one, whether it's nine point one or ten point one, whatever the case is, um, actually the 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 more the more scary part of it is if it doesn't come down okay so let me explain a little bit um so this 9.1 percent tells you on a year-on-year basis prices have gone up about 9.1 percent okay uh i can't recall what the actual month-on-month basis is but quite safe to say i think it was one over percent so quite safe to say over the past couple of months at least we've seen prices go up across the board by every month by one percent yeah 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 it's, it's about one one to about you know one one point yeah yeah okay so so let's just take for example and i've mentioned this example before um oil prices okay let's just let's focus on one single item but this can be applied to every single item so oil price has has increased from let's say 70 to 100 okay that's roughly about a 50 percent increase um on a year-on-year basis you know you will get those really large numbers because you're comparing to a very low base and such. Now oil prices settle at 100, let's assume, okay? Uh, and oil prices remain at 100 for the next one year. When next year, this, this month, which is July 2023, if you do a year-on-year uh, uh, calculation uh, or, or for your oil price, so-called uh, price index, or your CPI, which is purely just on oil, um, you're going to get zero growth year on year. Because oil at 100 today, oil at 100 a year later, um, that's zero growth year on year. But guess what? Oil is at 100. Economies, households cannot deal with oil at 100 if it remains there. So you may yeah. just recall um, um, the actual uh, year-on-year statistical data showing a decrease in you know, CPI is not longer 9.1 it's up 4, 4% year-on-year everybody goes yeah this, this you know, is mentioned you know yeah. what, what you just mentioned there right I yeah. think a lot of people don't understand because like say you know we, we, we put it to a more relatable state like, for, for, for normal normal folk uh, the cost of copy oh let's say right now you know yeah. and, and give you 
right? And we are talking about, uh, let's say we stick to the figure, we round it up 10% inflation year over year, which means yeah. that Kopi O used to cost 10% less a year ago. But if but Kopi O, if it stays at the same price from this year and next year at 2 ringgit 50 cent, essentially 0% inflation, but it has already inflated 10%, you know, that's... that's yeah, your, your, your disposable you know? income is down basically and it doesn't change. It's not deflating, yeah. It's not going yeah. back to its previous price. Yeah. So unless unless you see deflation, so unless you see year on year figures coming in at minus two percent, minus four percent, minus six percent, you know, and is yeah. that possible? Is 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 that possible to have a negative inflation? Uh, and, of and course, a... yeah. So you you it's possible. So we're potentially going to see what we call economists call disinflation, and disinflation is basically inflation coming down from nine to six to five to four. Uh, whether we get deflation is another story. Um, uh, won't rule it out. Um, uh, if we do get a very deep recession, these things happen. Uh, but at this point, when I look over on the supply side, um, you know, oil prices have come off, for example. Um, and when I start to look into the tweets by people who I consider to be expert in the oil market, all of them are saying, hey, look, oil prices, when we talk to the refiners, when we talk to the people on the ground, um, actually, demand is still very strong. And when you look at, 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 at what the data OPEC is releasing, OPEC Plus is releasing, they're all struggling to produce, to meet their quota because they've, they've failed to um, uh, uh, put in CAPEX over the past 10 years to, 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 to drill more oil. So it, it, it's, it's, it's preventing them from producing more oil. So everything suggests to you that it's going to be very difficult for oil prices to actually prices to collapse. So what we're seeing now from the oil price 100 over uh, and then people are selling it off now, it's 90 and such. And then they're saying, oh, it's because um, people are now uh, factoring a recession, it's going to come off. The actual data itself shows that these are CTA, commodity trading accounts, hedge funds and such, just going, you know, covering either their longs or going short in anticipation of a recession, which is totally different from what the people on the ground see from the physical side of it. So that's what I'm, I'm gathering from, from this. So that gives me kind of like a, a sense that, yeah, I think prices will remain high. Disinflation, maybe. Uh, uh, deflation, uh, unlikely, unless we see a very, very sharp uh, recession. Yeah, I mean, it, when we talk about a part of deflation, right? It's really unlikely because the money printing never stops. Right? Every, every year, we continue with yes, yes, right. money. Therefore, the, the, the money supply is ever increasing by a minimum of 2% per year. But we all know it's much higher than 2% per year. They just say it's growing by 2% per year. But you look at yes. inflation figures right now. And I think another uh, thing that people don't really understand is that, you know, let's take a look at the uh, uh, goods that are cheap, in this case, let's say bread, you know, those common goods and rice and 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 someone of some sort. Uh, the price of bread, let's say, if today it's priced at two ringgit fifty cents, and the next day it increased by fifty cents. Now, to common folk, they'll just say, "Oh, it's just a fifty cent increase." You know, it's not much. But if we do the math, that in itself for bread is a sixteen percent inflation already, you know, which. It goes very understated. I'm not, I'm not sure whether you, you will agree with me this on this, Sunny, because a lot of people, you know, there are still some people thinking that, oh, uh, they're still trusting the politicians and believing that, you know, inflation is much lower and it's not a problem. I'm going to believe the CPI numbers, but in truth, it's mm. actually much more darker than, you know, what has been uh, portrayed. Uh. Yeah. It's, 
whether yeah, so, I, I mean I totally agree. I I do think prices will remain where they are. So like I mentioned earlier, um, even though the year-on-year numbers may start to taper off and, and people pointing to it say, hey, no, inflation is no longer an issue. But the fact that your nominal price levels remain elevated or remain very high means you have less to spend elsewhere. Um, I'm very concerned. Okay, I'm very concerned for the second half of the year. Um, just, I, I mean, if we can switch a little bit to the more macro side of it, uh, if you give me, um, yeah, if, we can, if, I, if I can talk about the macro side. Um, you know, the first half of the year, uh, and, and this is what I tell all my clients basically. Uh, I say in the first half of the year, what we saw basically was we saw uh, uh, two types of shocks. Uh, one was the, the interest rate shock. We've not seen interest rate rise so fast in a, such a very short period of time. Um, so things like bonds were hit tremendously because bond markets are very sensitive to a rise in interest rate. We all know increase in bond increase in interest rate, bond prices come down. And the second one was, was we saw a valuation shock. Valuation shock because for the past couple of years things have just gone through the roof. Valuations have gone far beyond fundamentals, and all of a sudden it, it, the, the, the the handbrake was applied. And everything just came tumbling down like crypto or tech stocks and stuff like that. Okay, so we, we saw a valuation come uh, interest rate shock in the first half of the year. Um, right now, those are those shocks are, are, are softening, abating, meaning to say, oh, you know, uh, when I look at forward-looking indicators, inflation seems to be peaking. Um, valuation also, bond prices have come off, stock prices have come off. So, hey, good time to buy because those shocks have been priced in um, and now that's why we're seeing markets stabilize a bit yesterday 9.1 inflation initial sell-off um, and, and lo and behold within an hour everything went back to, to where it was before the uh, before the 9.1% shock that tells me that the market is now underpinning the market is kind of like a bullish uh, sentiment now because people are saying you know inflation coming off uh, prices of assets have come off you know Fed's going to reduce rates. What's there not to like? Uh, time to buy in the market. Uh, but we forget that basically once you start raising rates so aggressively in the first half, uh, once the asset prices come down so much, resulting in what we call destruction in wealth, um, what you get basically you get a very sharp slowdown in the second half of the year or at least two, three quarters ahead. And we're also seeing that in the numbers now. It's just that those risks are not very uh, uh, at the forefront at this point. Okay, so we are really in, a, in the and I'm giving a talk um, to our clients uh, next week or after that. The, the title of the talk is the, in the eye of we are in the eye of the storm, in the eye of the hurricane. And and I, I know hurricanes are not very common in Malaysia, but if you've seen the movies like uh, Storm Chaser and stuff like that, I can't remember the name. Hurricanes basically, when they pass through a town or pass through your home or whatever the case is, it, it just hits you at like 100, 200 miles per hour kind of winds. And all of a sudden, it just becomes very calm because you're in the middle of the, the, the eye of the hurricane. The middle part where the swirling, right in the middle, it's actually a very calm one. And then after that, you get whacked because the, the back part of the hurricane <laughs> comes and, and, and hits you because it's again, you're, you're moving out from the center of the hurricane all, all the way to, to again to the side of the, of the hurricane. So we are in the center now where things look very calm because the, 
the risk from the first half look to be coming off, and we have not seen the risk from the second half coming into the forefront, uh, forefront into the into the into the main headlines yet. And so, what are the risks in the second half? The risk is as the economy slows very sharply, you are going to get two types of shock. Shock number one is you're going to get a credit shock. Why a credit shock? You brought it up earlier. Uh, the world has three hundred trillion worth of debt. Um, uh, interest rates are are three or four times higher when than they were six months or or a year ago. Um, uh, out of the three hundred trillion worth of debt, I read somewhere that sixty trillion needs to be rolled over every single year. So on average, the debt is about a five-year maturity. So so it's about sixty trillion. There will be a huge bunch of companies who will find it extremely difficult to roll over their debt, especially those low-grade companies. Um, you know, they used to borrow. These are zombie companies. Used to borrow at one percent or even less than that. People were willing to, you know, people were even willing to buy bonds at that negative interest rates at one point. Um, and, and so when they go to market to try and roll over, uh, uh, uh used to be zero point five percent debt now is trading at three or three percent. You know, it's it's not enough. People will not lend money to a zombie company, even at three. It's going to be six, seven, eight. I mean, look at what happened to the uh, Chinese developers and such. Now they are rolling over at double digits. So, so there's going to be a lot of defaults. Um, anybody sitting in the uh, uh, below the uh, investment grade category, especially if you are look uh, in the uh, triple C's, uh, um, uh, single B's and such, uh, we think that default rates will actually go up. Um, and the second thing is the liquidity shock, because we've been living in a world where liquidity has been extreme, um, and that liquidity is being siphoned out because the Federal Reserve is undertaking quantitative tightening. Um, we are in a risk adverse environment where people are less willing to lend, um, and there are specific pockets of the of financial system which may be more vulnerable. Give you an example. Uh, emerging market companies who have, over the past couple of years, opted to issue dollar-denominated debt. That means issue bonds, but in U.S. dollars. Okay. Um, because of that, right now they find themselves having to pay coupons or even a maturity, a full repayment of those debt in U.S. dollars. And guess what? The U.S. dollar is just so expensive now compared to your local currency. So if you're if you're an emerging market corporation earning revenue from local in terms of local currency and having to pay your debts in U.S. dollars, you're screwed basically. Um, uh, and and the fact that um, there's going to be a, uh, or rather, there's already a shortfall in U.S. dollar liquidity um, in certain places already. We're starting to feel it already. I just saw a Twitter that uh, I think earlier today. Um, certain places there's a shortage. Uh, won't be surprised. We saw that same shortage in March, March, April, May of 2020. Uh, where the Federal Reserve had to had to come in, step in, and give what we call swap lines to the Bank of Indonesia uh, and the MAS in Singapore and such, in order to make sure that uh, around the region, corporations still receive uh, what we call US dollar supply. I think that shortage is also going to happen. So, what we're going to see, I think we're going to move away from one set of shocks that we saw in the first half of the year. Uh, we're going to move into a new. Environment where we're going to see a different set of shocks happening. So um, that's what we, I'm 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 actually prepared for. Those are really a lot of points you covered right there, and I just want to really quickly unpack 
uh, what you just said. Really, th- thank you for for those thoughts, by the way, Mr. Sunny. Uh. First, we started out with the uh, the debt crisis, right? Because uh, you have some companies, zombie companies, owing tons of money, and now interest rates are higher already. Essentially, the cost of debt is much much higher, and we are seeing the similar things happen in crypto right now, right? If you take a look at the collapse of Three Arrows Capital. Uh, Terra Luna. It all started with Terra Luna first, then Jero's Capital. All these companies, which are you know, they 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 weren't paying attention to their debts. They took took out too many loans. They went full degen and stuff. We are already seeing it in the Web three industry, and now it will probably shift on over to the trad side, the traditional finance side. And the other thing you mentioned is also about the uh, uh, the the strength of the dollar itself, right? Because the dollar strike right now is crazy. For for those of you who are earning US dollars, yay for you. But imagine Sri Lanka right now. How much debt they are in, and for them to repay that debt in US dollars is just crazy. And and, and that's one of the biggest reasons why Sri Lanka uh, went bankrupt. Also, which we will discuss with uh, you later, Mr. Sunny. And uh, it's a scary sight, lah, Mr. Sunny, to, to say the least. That what we are seeing right now and. Um, Although you've been through something like this, you have an you have a lot of experience in terms of crises. But uh, is it fair to say that what we are seeing right now is you know, way worse than probably what you have experienced in your time? What I would say is it has the potential to be way worse. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the reason being is um, anytime you have what we. Or, uh, uh, dislocation, misallocation of resources which we have seen over the past 10 years. Um, res- you know, ex- all this money being pumped into the system, making its way into all the asset classes. Um, typically, you would see basically, oh, there's a bubble in the stock market. Oh, there's a bubble in the tech sector. Oh, there's a bubble in the bond market. Oh, there's a bubble in the property sector. Um, it's never there's a bubble in A, B, C, D, E, F, G every single thing is a bubble like you mentioned it's everything bubble and that's really the consequence of, 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 of massive uh, 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 injection of liquidity so um, yeah so that in itself is, is, is a big risk because we've never seen multiple bubbles uh, deflate all at the same time and, and, and I'm not saying it will happen I'm just saying at this particular point those are clear and present dangers uh, as we as we go into a slowing economy okay. yeah yeah, yeah. So, so that's really something which is uh, scary at the same time you have uh, uh, central banks which really have not much maneuverability unlike the past 10 years whenever there is a decline in the asset market um, the central banks basically will worry about deflationary impact because they looked at what happened to Japan and so on and so forth and, and there was this inability to, to spark inflation because of, again, in technical terms or econ terms, uh, you know, uh, what we call uh, uh, money velocity was very low and so on and so forth. So central banks were more worried about deflationary impact. So that's why they pump, 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 they pumped everything. Right now, and, and they were able to to, to to do quantitative easing, they were able to bring down rates because inflation was not the problem, deflation was the problem. Right now, if the market falls another 20%, how is the, how is the Federal Reserve going to come in and, 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 and support the markets? Impossible because its mandate is I need to combat inflation. It's right now, you know, uh, uh, if I look and try and support the, the stock market by reducing interest rates, by doing quantitative easing, 
that goes contrary to my mandate, which is actually to fight inflation, to make sure that the, what we call the real interest rates is back into at least zero or at least positive. You know, right now it's it's one of the biggest negative real interest rates that we've seen in history, which is ruining the Federal Reserve's uh, reputation. Yeah, again, um, good point right there. You talked about the Federal Reserve's goals is to maintain price stability and maximum employment, right? So I think this is what a lot of people misunderstand also because some of the people still think that, hey, actually the Federal Reserve, look at the stock market drop. You know, at the end of the day, they will come in and save the stock market. But in this current situation, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think, Mr. Sunny, you can agree with me also because inflation is red hot right now. And again, just echoing back to what you said, it goes against their policy to suddenly inject liquidity back into the market or, or reduce interest rates in this very extremely inflationary environment. Yeah, yeah they can't. Their hands yeah. are tight. Yeah, their hands are tight and, and I, I would say they're boxed in right now. And the only thing they're left to do right now is to aggressively raise rates. Like we've seen it, right? Previously in March, the first time when they raised rates, it's like 0.25%. Yeah. You know, they, they wanted to ease it in, but then they realized that shit, we can't we can't do it. We have to be more aggressive. Yeah. It doubled the rate X from 0.25 to 0.5%, you know? Yeah. And and, and and that sorry and, and that's if you look at the ECB, that's they've 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 tried to do it a little bit more different than the Federal Reserve, because the ECB itself, despite the fact that inflation had 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 moved up sharply, um, they were very worried because they were having problems with what we call the peripheral countries. Italy was having issues and such, um, and more so because of the war in Ukraine and the energy. Um, 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 blockade and, and there's still Russian dependence on Russian energy and such. So at the back of the ECB mind was basically that um, you know we are headed for a recession. Um, so I can't theoretically I can't raise rates or I can't be so aggressive like the Federal Reserve, despite the fact that interest rates are higher. You pay a price for that because you don't raise interest rates, you suffer from what we call real negative interest rates. Um, and 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 you just have to look at the euro. What happened to the euro? It just it just hit parity with, with, with the US dollar. It, it already depacked. It's now <laughs> depacked. <laughs> I like that. Zero point nine nine five. Yeah. So so something yeah. has to give way. If you want to adopt a certain, you want to give priority to certain things. Something else has to give way. So different central banks will will, will, will focus on different um, aspects. I mean the 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 BOJ, the MOF um, uh, in, in 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 Japan. Um, they've decided to to do yield curve control um, to make sure that basically um, yields remain low in the in, in, in Japan. Um, as a result, same thing, your interest rate differential with the US is is super wide, and it's reflected in the currency as in terms of your yen weakness. So yen has also gone down the drain with respect to to the so so it's it's all tied together. You want to keep rates low, you have to accept that your currency is going to be battered. You want to raise rates, you have to accept that your economy is going to be battered. So it's, it's, it's that kind of, 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 of place we are in where there's a cost to everything you do. Yeah, there's, a, there's a push and pull and then there's a cause yeah. and then back to everything you do. I, I guess, again, uh, just recapping to what you just said right there, a lot of points covered, is that um, 
talk a bit about the interest rate differential uh, because I think the audience here may not understand what we are covering right now. So in particular, when it comes to the, we have the Federal Reserve, we are talking about a few entities here, guys. So we have the Federal Reserve, we have the ECB, which Mr. Sunny mentioned just now. ECB stands for European Central Bank. So basically, it's like the quote-unquote Federal Reserve of the European Union side or so. Okay? And you have the BOJ, the Bank of Japan. All these entities are competing with each other when it comes to interest rates. So you have the Federal Reserve raising interest rates first, and that's, that usually increases the uh, strength of the dollar itself. And then if these other entities, they are slower and they don't raise rates as quickly or on par with the United States or the Federal Reserve, then their currency will fall. So right now you're seeing why Euro is so weak is because they're not raising interest rates uh, as quickly as the United States or the Federal Reserve is doing. So did I, did I roughly cover what you're trying to say right there, Mr. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, currencies, are, currencies, are always, currencies are always a function of what we call the balance of payment. Uh. Yes. And, uh, and the balance of payment is made up of both the current account and capital account. Um, and interest rate differentials basically um, result in if you have a higher interest rate, I'm going to part my money with you. Yeah, yeah. So, so the demand for that particular currency with a higher interest rate is is is, is going to be very high. So stronger, stronger currency. I, I guess. Course, yeah. Sorry. I guess we can also push it back to the Malaysian ringgit, right? Because if you take a look at the Malaysian ringgit, why is it going? Is it weaker right now? Is it because because uh, yeah, at least. Okay. Yeah, some people talking about, oh, Malaysian ringgit go up to 4.4, it will come back down again. Uh, it, yeah. it won't go past its uh, March 2020 high. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, but it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Please. Uh, sorry, because you were breaking, so I didn't know whether you stopped. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, oh. I, I, oh, I broke away. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No reason. No, no, no. yeah, I think everybody, everybody in the room probably need to understand, uh, if you haven't understood it yet, that currencies are basically a function of two, a, a pair of currencies. Uh. It's always US dollar against ringgit, sing against ringgit, and so on and so forth. Um, so when you see the currency pair moving in a certain direction, let's say a uh, dollar ringgit moving from four dollars, four point zero to four twenty, uh, it impresses on you that the ringgit has weakened because for every one US dollar now you can command four dollars, four four ringgit twenty cents, correct? Because previously it was four. But you must remember, you must always ask the question. Was it because of dollar strength or was it because of ringgit weakness? Because either one of those two things or a combination of those two things could have caused your ringgit to move from 4 to 4, 4.0 to 4.2. Okay? It looks to be at this particular point, um, um, a big chunk of that, that movement from 4.0 to let's say 4.2, 4.3 uh, is, is due to dollar strength because dollar interest rate differential is just so much larger than every other currency. So you'll see the dollar strengthening not only against the ringgit, but also against the Sing dollar, the rupiah, the euro, and so on and so forth. Okay, yeah. so underlying it is dollar strength. If you want to see whether the ringgit itself is, is strong, you then pair the ringgit against your regional currencies, for example. Has dollar but sorry, has ringgit but gone up or down? Has ringgit peso gone up or down? Has ringgit rupiah gone up or down? Has ringgit thing gone up or gone down. So from that gives you a reflection. Oh, um, both, let's say for example, both rupiah, rupiah and ringgit have both weakened against the dollar. Fine. Dollar ringgit is up, dollar rupiah is up. But when you pair ringgit and rupiah, it then gives you an idea who has weakened less 
against the, the the dollar, then you can say ringgit actually is is on a, has strengthened against the rupiah, or ringgit has weakened against rupiah. So that gives you a little bit of better idea whether the ringgit in itself is on a stronger or weaker footing. Yeah. Again, thanks, Mr. Sunny, for really, uh, you know providing such a detailed explanation on this these currency fluctuations. And just to track back to what you said, yeah, and I, and I quickly just Google searched Malaysian Ringgit to Thai baht when you talked about it. Uh-huh. Actually, Malaysian Ringgit is strengthening against the Thai baht. <laughs> okay, yeah, so it could be a case, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so, so, so it's weak it, it against the to, dollar, but strong against the baht. It, it, we're, all, we're, all, we're all veering towards the, a strong US dollar right now and, and goes back to the main point of interest rate differential, right? Because the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates i think up to today is 150 basis points already if we add up uh, the next fomc meetings uh, probably add up to 150 basis point already which is about 1.5 percent a rate hike already but meanwhile bank nagara is still you know i think last month only they raised 0.25 percent or am yeah. i yeah. yeah what what's interesting is um i think the euro dollar futures market is already incorporating um a, a terminal rate which is much earlier than what we initially expected. Previously, we thought that the Federal Reserve would actually pivot at about four to maybe four and a half percent first quarter, maybe second quarter next year. Um, The market is now telling us they could actually pivot in the first quarter of next year and even in the final quarter of this year and pivot basically at about three and a half percent maybe. Um, Why is that? It's, it's, It's basically because um, the market believes that the economy is slowing at a much faster rate than, 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 than the Federal Reserve, or rather at a much faster rate. So it will force the hand of the Federal Reserve to, to, to reverse whatever is done uh, much sooner and much more than initially thought. Uh, so that will be interesting because when, when that happens, uh, 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 by right, and again, um, inflation, monetary policy in different countries are, are are at a different part of the curve. Um, we could have a situation where Federal Reserve US rates are coming off. Let's say Malaysian rates are still probably uh, let's say going higher. Okay, uh, but that doesn't also automatically mean that 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 dollar ringgit will come off, i.e. ringgit will strengthen. It really depends again if we are in a situation where the whole world is slowing. Um, and I believe there's this underlying evidence that um, um, some of the demand for dollars is actually due to safe haven. There are just very few safe havens nowadays. Um, you want a you want a safe haven? There's not many places. It used to be yen was a safe haven. It's got it's got decimated. Uh, treasuries were safe haven. I think that's that was you know it's down because of of, of what happened with uh, higher rates and such. Um, um, Dollar is a haven and, and it's showing to be the case. Gold was presumably a haven, but it's not gone anywhere and in fact lost a little bit. So I think we are in a world where where, where havens are, are, are there's a lack of havens, safe havens. Um and 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 even though interest rate differentials may narrow against the dollar, there could still be demand. Like I mentioned also earlier, second half of the year if there's a shortage of dollar, it will be irregardless of where interest rate differentials are. If I'm a corporation, an uh, uh, emerging market corporation, and I need dollars to pay my my coupons on my 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 dollar denominated bonds, I'm going to secure it regardless. Yeah, so there could be other factors. But I just wanted to bring it up to 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 tell your listeners that it's it, while interest rate differentials are important, sometimes it's over. Uh, uh, you can override it with other stuff. Yeah, essentially we we are driving 
point back to uh, supply and demand also, right? And other factors, you know, like uh, you know, like, like what you just mentioned just now. Yeah. But it's really interesting on what you talked about, in particular the fat pivot. Uh, for those in the audience, if you don't know what a fat fat pivot means, it's literally as simple as what it means. It means that the Federal Reserve just turned their tail, and they're now doing a different, a completely opposite policy. So let's say. Uh, if they were aggressively hiking rates, this if they pivot, then suddenly they go back to lowering rates or something like that. It's just it's just like a sudden U turn now, something like that. Am, am I right about that, Mr. Sunny? Did I? Did I did yeah, I, yeah. It's pivot. It's just 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 yeah. U turning on its current yeah. path. Yeah. So just yeah. for just for the audience to you know really understand what we are trying to say. But we have the Haikal, right? Haikal, yeah, Haikal yeah. over here. I think Haikal yeah. had a question just now. Yeah, Haikal, please go ahead. Not Hello? question, just to add on performance lah, basically. Because um, I work at, I, I deal with BOP. I'm, I work at the Foreign Exchange Policy Department at Bangara. So I may add a bit on this lah. So basically, it is, uh, as Mr. Sunny said lah, it's actually re, apa, dollar strengthening against every, everybody. And as you mentioned earlier pun, memang if we, and... If we actually look at uh, other regional currencies, Malaysia is doing comparatively well against other currencies. It's just that we are weakening so badly against the ringgit, against the dollar, because the dollar is strengthening. So, on that part, uh, Mr. Sunny is right lah. And another part that I wish to add on about why we are seeing apa? first thing first first is uh, flight to safe haven. And the second thing is we are actually seeing uh, these are public data. There's no secret. <laughs> this is no confidential data. You can just access it uh, at MSD, uh, Monthly Statistical Bulletin at Bangara. So nothing, no suspicion, no hanky-panky stuff here. Uh, what we are seeing is that uh, large corporate, large Malaysian corporates, uh, they are actually say they are actually keep building up their FX reserves. So they are depositing more in dollars. So that also contributes to ringgit weakening lah because they are demanding more dollars. So those are some of the things I wanted to add on. And maybe when you go to Sri Lanka or other stuff, I might want to ask a few questions lah, which I think is good that we have this session because it's yeah. good to hear from an outsider as well. Thanks. Thank you, Haika. It's very, it's always uh, very good to have a central banker or someone working in a central bank well, to, those are actually to very contribute. Good. Yeah. But 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 the data that you just mentioned is 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 exactly what I meant. What I said, um, uh, corporations um, having gone through March 2020, where everybody was all of a sudden shocked to realize that it's you know dollars are just not freely available uh, 24/7, uh, had to scramble to find it. So now they've learned their lesson, and that's why a lot of companies who are net borrowers via US dollar denominated bonds, they are now building up the, those reserves. So Great information, Haikal. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, th- thank you so much, Haikal. You're, you're, you're well, more than welcome to stay on the panel if you want to. You know, At the end of the day, this is an open discussion. Okay, So for anybody in the audience, if you want to ask uh, Mr. Sani any questions or you have any comment to make, do not hesitate because the session tonight is really open for yeah. uh, everyone. We want to make sure that you, know, you, you get your questions answered or if you have something else to add, just request to be a speaker, you'll immediately be approved. Yeah. Okay, um, let, us, let us shift gears. Okay, we've, we've talked about inflation just now. Why is it so sky high? But I just do want to end uh, this current topic at uh, 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 a, a quick question. 
safe haven asset right now, let's say, uh, you know, gold previously was a safe haven asset. Bitcoin was thought of as an <laughs> asset and it turns out that we were blatantly wrong. <laughs> so, Mr. Sunny, right now, US dollar safe haven asset, how long will this last, you know? Because at the end of the day, we talked about this cash is king right now, right? And a lot of people are flocking towards the US dollar because the Russia-Ukraine war, and now we have Sri Lanka, yeah, and there, and people are stacking up their dollars like crazy right now to quote-unquote repay their loans. So will this stretch out all the way until next year? Do we see it going further? Or will the safe haven asset change? Maybe back to gold or Bitcoin or something like that? If, 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 rates um, stabilize then of course I think because right now one of the problems we have even as my um, in, in, in the current position as an asset allocator is um, you know portfolio theory tells you that always allocate to equity and bonds because when equities are up bonds are down when equities are down bonds are up so your portfolio net net uh, should be doing okay because um, there's negative correlation between the two what we saw in the first six months was we saw positive correlation between the two <laughs> equities were down like 20 percent bonds were down like 13 percent there was no way nowhere to hide um, if that correlation uh, is broken and we go back to what we call normal negative correlation i think i think you know people will start looking at treasuries and and, and they really they really chatter about that People are, are some people I know are reallocating back, uh, saying that it's maybe time now to to start um, looking at the the reestablishment of this negative correlation. So it's safe to 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 tiptoe back into into the bond market, but very very selectively, high quality government bonds and and stuff like that. As we get more clarity on the on the on the interest rate side, uh, inflation is coming off, monetary policy may be pivoting. So it's it's fairly safe to tiptoe back. So so we could see treasuries come back as the safe haven play that it ought to be for many many years but the dollar still is underpinned by not only that safe haven but by the demand we mentioned from the corporates itself so i think that's that's very strong uh, in my view so it's going to be hard to 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 see the dollar um, um, coming off in a very severe economic downturn where people are worried about um, what's going to happen uh, elsewhere and, and, and the demand, the natural demand from dollar-denominated debt holders. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Uh, thank you again, Mr. Sunny, for your points over there. I just want to quickly summarize what we what you just talked about. And uh, we, I think we both can agree that the dollar strength will kind of remain, you know, and last throughout probably this year or probably next year. And we don't expect uh, the, 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 the collapse of the dollar anytime soon or stuff like that. Like, because there are, there are still people talking about like US dollar will collapse, the world will end, etc. Et I, mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's a long-term thesis. Yeah, which I, 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 yeah so it, it will play out. It will, I, yes. I, yeah, I, I, I believe it will play out the yeah. way it's going. But it's a slow motion kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah, it will take, <laughs> it will take tens of years. It will take decades, right? It will take decades for, for, for the US dollar to gradually collapse. Actually, we are seeing the collapse of the US dollar right now. There are symptoms of it already. You are seeing like a Russia no longer accepting US dollar for oil. You are see, seeing like a China starting to use renminbi and stuff like that, you know? So, so, so that's, I, I would say, is the starting symptoms. Start. But we will have enough time to uh, react to it at the end of the day, right? So, yeah. Uh, Let's, let's lay this at rest and we'll shift gears a bit because we still got one more big topic to cover. Uh, Sri Lanka. Yeah, let's talk about it, Mr. Sunny. 
Uh, for those in the audience, I've written a thread about Sri Lanka. You can basically just read the thread right now very quickly. But let me just summarize to you in the audience uh, on what happened to Sri Lanka. Okay, So basically, the country is in shambles right now. I would say the country has collapsed already. And this collapse was uh, entirely man-made. Yeah, it's not due to nature factors or COVID or something like that. But rather, it was due to uh, years of bad planning. I wouldn't say years. I would just say it collapsed so quickly. You know, In less than two years, the country collapsed. And you can really see the effect of uh, centralized planning over here and government policies when they literally have not much education on the economy. They start doing a lot of uh, bad calls and bad calls after another and the entire country goes down the drain. So quick updates right here. The president of uh, Sri Lanka has fled to, I think, the Maldives. Yeah, the, the rich, right? I'm talking about the rich again, they always have an escape way out. While uh, some of the citizens as, at Sri Lanka last I heard was queuing about five six days for fuel and the entire country has run out of, of fuel already yeah so it's a very bad sight right there right now so Mr. Sunny what happened man why did Sri Lanka come into this crisis and at the end of the day what can we learn from this yeah well, I've learned a lot from your thread. <laughs> hey, no lah. No la. Yeah, yeah. It was a good thread. I think I, I would recommend everybody go and read the thread where you 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 probably highlighted most of it um, or, or the reasons behind it. Um, it was a lot to do with mismanagement, um, 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 people who were probably incompetent to, to run the country from an economic standpoint. I mean, they tried to move into uh, so-called organic, non-fertilizer, it backfired. You were saying that, I, I read about that. Um, I think there was a little bit of, uh, not a little bit, but there was a widespread Cronism in the in the in the in the in the political side where relatives were being appointed and so so it's it's really a whole bunch of stuff and they had and I think prior to this also they lost support to to China because they couldn't repay back some debt and so on and so forth you know so what 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 I really and let's bring it back to Malaysia since since we're here yeah 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 let's bring it to Malaysia I, I think that to Malaysia yeah. yeah I don't think it will it can happen in Malaysia. Meaning to say that Sri Lanka was already kind of like in terms of its 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 credible credit worthiness and such. If you look at its credit rating, it was already uh, probably non-investment grade and such. But that's not to say that Malaysia can't drop a few notches from where it is today. Uh, Haikal, if you if you if you remember, I think it's still A minus if I'm not wrong. Um, but a few notches would bring it down to maybe you know triple B minus, just above investment grade or whatever. So Malaysia really has to be very careful with respect to its fiscal position. You just remember last year, two years ago, uh, I can still remember the headlines, Malaysia was going to buy vaccines and, and basically the government said we, we, we can't afford the vaccines, we need to dip into something called uh, um, the National Trust Fund. If I'm not wrong in Malay, it's called Kwan, Kumpulan uh, Wang Amanah Negara, something like that, um, which tells you that basically we've, Malaysia has reached a point where um, it's, it's a bit like the US where it's hitting against the debt ceiling and so on and so forth. Um, and, 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 and I worry about it because um, I'm Malaysian also. Uh, um, and I worry. And, and I've also tweeted about this. I said, look, it, given the situation that's going on now, 
um, I personally feel we're, we're, we're headed towards slow economic growth, potentially even a crisis. We we should be actually moving into a, a DEFCON 5 emergency ICU, not emergency ICU, but emergency mode, um, where we start doing things to try and beef up um, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the finances of, of the country. Um, we keep on talking about how Malaysia is benefiting from from higher oil prices and such. But at the same time, we don't. We, let's not forget, uh, um, with one of the hi- highest subsidies in the world with respect to oil. So whatever Malaysia brings in, I can't remember the numbers itself. But I remember it's fairly large. Whatever Malaysia brings in in terms of revenue, oil revenue for every dollar that it's above um, uh, its anticipated budget, it's all being used up for subsidies. Um, so we've, we've, and if you look at the, the, the and, and again, Haikal and those of you who are in the know, uh, I can't remember the exact number, but I believe our reserves, or rather our, our, our um, stabilization fund, because the Quan is supposed to be a stabilization fund, it's, it's a very small amount. Compared to Norway, it's, it's just a drop in the bucket. I mean, Norway itself, 20, 30 years ago, started a stabilization fund. Um, I can't remember again the actual amount that they put in, but I think uh, uh, a certain amount of oil revenue went into that stabilization fund. Um, that stabilization fund now is, is I think, many, 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 many more times larger than that of Malaysia. Singapore itself um, has a, 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 a rule where um, um, gains made from 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 GIC, I think, even from Tomasi, I think, um, it's all kept. Um, half of it can be used for the budget, and half of it will be kept in reserves. Um, and these reserves cannot be touched unless there's a parliamentary and a presidential approval um, and released during times of need. And that was during, I think, the crisis and such. So I'm, what I'm trying to say is, many countries set up these kind of stabilization funds. Um, in order to either use it during times of duress, under stress, or eventually, like in the case of Singapore, uh, and also in the case of Norway, um, eventually to replace some of the revenue um, that 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 our budget re- or, or at least to supplement the revenue in the budgets. So Norway knows, for example, that eventually oil can't last, but now. Um, as oil declines, for example, um, the, the, the gains that they make, the, the investment returns that they make, now uh, replace that of the, the, replace the loss in, in oil revenue. So, so what I'm trying to also say is we, we need to do something. If you're talking about the 2022 budget, I can't recall last year, I think it was $65 and such. We really need to now say, hey, whenever we set an assumption in the Malaysian budget. Let's set it at a conservative level in terms of oil price. Anything above that, let's keep it in a in this reserve uh, 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 stabilization fund. Rather than we say let's spend every single cent that we get, you know, because the last time oil prices were above a hundred, I think if I'm not wrong, we didn't manage to save anything. It's like everything just went out. Uh, you know, oh, we managed to bring, uh, uh, supplement our revenue, oil prices were above the assumptions and so on, which then doesn't leave a lot for the future, which then doesn't leave us with an emergency fund. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm concerned and I think um, um, I've, I've read somewhere that there are some fiscal responsibility measures going to be taken in the next budget. I hope to see something along this line. We have to start somewhere. 
we have to start building up this this reserve because eventually when the oil runs out eventually when palm oil prices collapse or whatever the case is at least this fund which is generating a reasonable return those returns can be used to supplement the budget i mean that's a diversification of your of your revenue stream um, so so that's one thing which i i thought you know needs to be done sooner rather than later yeah. allow me to just unpack what you yeah. just said uh, yeah you, you covered a lot of stuff right there yeah and uh, essentially i think your point being is the foreign reserves right yeah like 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 your like your savings uh, essentially if you put it to if you relate it to person to person it's just kind of like a family just think of the country's economy like a family and right now malaysia is spending without saving yeah every time a paycheck comes in they just spend their entire paycheck right to keep to keep things simple and they're not saving money and in this case the money that we're talking about is the foreign reserves now because every single country has their own foreign reserves and foreign reserves is extremely crucial to a country uh this is the primary reason why sri lanka collapsed is because they no longer have any savings to sustain them and they cannot take any more loans so essentially the country is bankrupt lah so just allow me to touch very quickly on foreign reserves because they are used to pay off debts and maintain competitively priced exports and to date most of the world's reserves are held in ding 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 us dollars so which goes back to our big arcing point which we mentioned about on the us dollar strength right here the flight to safe haven assets blah 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 is also talking about the uh, foreign reserves and what mr sani covered just now is that malaysia doesn't have enough foreign reserves right mr sani and um, yeah it's it's also this i mean you're right to say there's 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 a foreign reserve element to it and yep. the word foreign that tells you those reserves relate to 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 the balance of payment yeah, um, yeah. but there's also the reserves which are basically true reserves meaning to say um just give an example um, um like i mentioned stabilization funds um those are reserves that they, they can be held in foreign currency whatever the case is but those are Uh, uh, reserves built up for a very specific purpose, as the name implies, stabilization. Is to stabilize your budget when there are periods of time where you're 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 facing stress on your budget, um, and that you correctly mentioned. It's like an emergency fund. Family suddenly uh, breadwinner loses his job, income suddenly declines because only the wife earns money. The husband lost his job. You can dip into that emergency fund to supplement and make sure that no one suffers. There's food on the table and such, because without that, you will be cutting left, right, and center your expenditure. In in in, in. you see, in normal economics, ah, uh, in 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 normal economics, it's it's you know C plus I plus G cons uh, consumption plus investment plus government that keeps your economy going and and ex and 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 net export. In a recession, this time around, I'm going to tell you, your consumption and your investment will collapse. The only person who will be able to set come in. To support the economy will be the G, which is the government. Um, Richard Koo uh, from Nomura um, um, is very famous with with this. It's happened in Japan. It's called the balance sheet rece- uh, balance sheet recession. Um, it's 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 really um, the experience of the Japanese where where the C and I consumption and investment collapse. It and the and the Japanese government didn't realize, and they kept doing austerity, 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 uh, and that's why the, the the Japanese economy was in the doldrums for many years. And only then they started to realize, no, we have to step in and we have to do, you know, whether it's, you want to call it Keynesian economics, where fiscal is is the key thing and such, but you need money to do that. 
because without money you're going to rake up your debts your ratings are going to drop two or three notches and then you're going to have a new set of problems so it's very important for 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 the country to build that reserve uh, starts sooner rather than later otherwise there's going to be a lot of problems exactly and you mentioned right there the, the major reason why sri lanka collapsed is because it no longer have any rainy day funds Now, to put you guys into context uh foreign reserves in sri lanka 50 billion in 2019 okay fell to 50 million right now can you imagine in a span of like 2 years 50 billion got drained out pay off all their stuff in the current economy right now they have 50 million left this is the they are unable to repay their debts so on and so forth and in the international world when we talk about country to country whenever you're unable to repay your debts since there's no international courts to turn to nobody can sue you but the credit rating agencies will downgrade your country and it will prevent you from taking loans in the future which it's like a death spiral essentially once you collapse you are no longer able to take loans to keep yourself afloat again but the only solution is to take loans to keep yourself afloat so do you see the dilemma right here which is why sri lanka right now is looking for a last line of support right they looked at the world bank uh recently loaned them i think 600 million they are also looking at the imf right they are also looking at china to loan them funds but it it is it's, it's looking grim right you know at, at the end of the day mr sunny and it goes back to our point of building up the reserves right which is really important for a country and uh yeah, yeah. i've just i've just sent you something on the whatsapp that you can post it on the uh the chat on top there okay so it's just, it's let, me a, let me take a look at it yeah, yeah. you can just from, from, you, you go ahead you go ahead yeah. yeah it's just a table from the edge i think the edge had one article on 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 quan um i think two years ago last year when 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 the vaccines part of the money from quan was used to buy the vaccines about rm 5 billion if i'm not wrong and there was this huge debate about should it be used shouldn't it be used i mean my own view is yes it's it's you're supposed to use it in times where you have um, um a need to so i'm 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 all for it the only problem is it's very minute it's very small because we've not i don't know i i'm not familiar with 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 the mechanics behind it is there compulsory um, um injections but i know petronas does injections to it i'm not sure whether there is there's there's an act which says that how much of every year the revenue from or from oil has to go into it because if it's really the case it ought to be much bigger than what it is today because i can read here it's only about 5 billion uh, uh us dollars compared to the Norway's pension fund which is like uh, 1.1 trillion uh, uh, US dollars and even T- Timor Leste which 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 is as you all know Timor Leste uh, um it's it's a new country um its petroleum fund is even bigger than our Quan petroleum fund because its petroleum fund is 17.7 billion so so again i'm just trying to be to give some constructive feedback to say you know we we really really need to do something to to build this up yeah yeah about about the picture you sent to me just now right i think study is very good if you can write a a short thread about it then <laughs> then after the session i'll be able to just uh, retweet yeah. keep the ball rolling from there lah. yeah yeah but we covered on uh, inflation so far we talked about the uh, crisis crisis in sri lanka also and ultimately what can the malaysian government learn is that they have to build up their rainy day funds lah. now they have to build up their foreign reserves one way or another or the uh, stabilization fund which you just mentioned yeah 
otherwise during a crisis like that or, or maybe something similar Malaysia won't have any outs to run away or, or and, and we will see a, like something like a death spiral and the entire country collapses just very quickly in the span of two years and Sri Lanka was known to be actually one of the more successful countries in the uh, Southeast Asia actually is it Southeast Asia? I'm not so sure but, but South, South Asia yeah. Uh, South, yeah South Asia yeah correct me so I'm not so good on geography no worries it, it was it was one of the you know, most successful countries. Its tourism industry was booming. You know, it was very successful. Then came COVID, blah blah blah, and the plethora of different screw ups from the government, uh, which entirely collapsed the economy. Which is why you see uh, massive protests in the street right now. Yeah, I think we will rest the case on this one, and uh, we have about twenty more minutes left. We want to stretch the session all the way until 11pm tonight. <laughs> Let's just talk a bit about uh, Malaysian economy, in particular chicken prices and cooking oil. Okay, I think this will be another interesting topic to prod your brain a bit, Mr. Sunny. <laughs> so, ah, chicken prices, let's start with that. Why is it so high right now? And why is Malaysia running so low on chickens? <laughs> you, you, you tell me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, from 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 from, from what research yeah, so far, you know, yeah. it's not because we there's a disease in chicken or whatsoever. It's because producers are leaving, and the demand is way higher than the current supply. Right? It's just simple economics. But uh, go ahead, Mr. Sunny. No, I think. I think many countries, again, I'm going to talk in a very general sense. I'm not very familiar with why actually chicken prices itself, the supply and demand situation in Malaysia. But what I can tell you is, um, since I'm based in Singapore, what I can tell you is what's, what, what, how the government here, um, 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 what, what they've done. Okay? And I think um, when we have things to learn from, 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 from other people, we learn from other people. Um, Singapore being a small little country um, has always put food security as a very high um, uh, priority in its, in its, in its um, overall um, security, um, you know, con- country's security measures. Lah. So it has always had um, um, some um, supply lines. Um, what it realized during COVID was basically um, it, it doesn't work when, when there are multiple countries uh, which shut down. You know, um, therefore you don't you don't get you don't you know where you turn to or so your 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 suppliers are, are not there. So COVID actually uh, taught the Singapore government that actually they have to be self sufficient. Um, and so now we have situations where and water was has always been something, uh, not only now, uh, but now it now it's in terms of food. So Singapore's looking to to grow its own food, whether it's you know in the labs or whether it's in in, 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 in every HDB public housing, um, the roofs are now being converted to, to, to grow uh, vegetables and, and things like that. So they're taking it very seriously and, and there, there are always measures and plans that are announced we need to be sufficient by 30%, 40% by a certain time. So one thing good about here is they have long-term plans and they stick to it. Okay, and they measure it and they, there's accountability and such. Um, and 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 just going back to the chicken one, um, what I do know um, is basically Singapore got cut off, of course, from Malaysian exports and, and therefore imports over this side. But they were very quick. They were very quick to open up new supply lines. They got basically um, um, chicken supplies from Brazil, um, um, Thailand, 
and most recently Indonesia. Uh, and I think that has helped to cover. So we don't even feel the absence of Malaysian chicken in Singapore because we've got uh, <laughs> uh, we've got uh, supply. Of course, nothing beats having fresh chicken. Uh, but again, it's 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 frozen chicken, and sometimes you know you just have to deal with it. But so there's still chicken. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, chicken. The, the a chicken. A chicken is a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but it it also goes to show that, for example, when when the supply chain reopens in Malaysia, I think Malaysian exporters are going to get decimated. Because why? Because I think Singapore now once op- they've opened up new supply lines with with Thailand and Indonesia, can simply say we don't need you anymore. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's one thing also that 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 that's probably going to happen. But again, I'm also trying to say that Malaysia um, may have been a little bit um, uh, uh, um, uh, behind the curve, so to say, because I think Malaysia has always thought it it is sufficient. It has a lot of land and such. Um, but remember, a lot of land has been converted for palm oil and and so on. Um, so there really needs to be. Um, whether it's the National Disaster Agency, NADMA, or whoever, there really needs to be a, a long-term plan in order to make um, um, the country self-sufficient and, and, and secure in terms of food. And this is serious because if you believe in climate change like I do, um, you know that basically the world is getting hotter and such, and 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 you will face. A shortage of 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 supply. Do you know that basically um, um, crop yields um, decline by I think roughly ten percent uh, for every increase in 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 one Celsius increase in in in, in temperature. Um, so fast forward to to thirty forty years down the road, uh, we are talking about a world which potentially has has lesser crop yield by twenty thirty percent of what we have today because the world is just hotter. Uh, and if you are not prepared, um, you are basically going to find yourself in a very difficult position because these are not things that you can do um, in a one-two year time time frame. These are things that you must plan over multi decades in order for it to be successful. So you need to plan now, and and that's just what I'm afraid. I think people in uh, the, the 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 government in Malaysia needs to put a little bit more effort in this. I just want to just again highlight. Uh, something that the Singapore government has done with respect to climate change is issued a report to say the which are the vulnerability across the nation here countries where sea walls need to be built, where um, more underground facilities need to be built because it may be just too hot next time to to have things above ground. Um, um, where so on, where where the 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 the, the painting and such, the color, even to the color itself, the reflective uh, capabilities of these these paints or, or or metals and such, everything is geared towards trying to 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 make the island cooler, even 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 if it's a little bit, uh, because we're, the fact of the matter is going to get hotter. So so these are things which I think Malaysia needs to learn from. Again, we always learn from people. If it's a good thing, we we take it and we learn and we say thank you very much. Um, so we don't have to, you know. Um, so I hope um, that someone or the government in Malaysia is, is is taking note of this, uh, you know. Uh, and I I would ask most of you who um, try and Google like you know sea level. Uh, uh, rising rising sea level models. I've done this before, and there are some websites out there which will enable you to to uh, uh, simulate 
a rise in sea levels. So you can actually say, okay, sea levels in 2030, 2040, 2050. And it gives you a whole global overview of how things will change. You can see how Florida, half of Florida is underwater and how parts of Klang is underwater, parts of Malacca is underwater. <laughs> so these are just models. I'm not trying to scare anybody. But I think people need to just pay attention to these things. And because we can't do it at the last minute. Yeah, good one, Mr. Sunny. Uh, you touched the point on global warming right there. And uh, I think that's the the biggest elephant in the room, la, which which is why, you know, across the board, you know, prices are gradually rising. But uh, let's address the, I would say, smaller elephant in the room right here. Because chicken prices just surged. And in Singapore, I don't think, obviously, chicken prices uh, in Singapore have been more expensive, but I don't think it's surged as much as Malaysia. Here, my kai fan seller, you know, at my area, what, what, what he do is that he don't dare to raise prices. So what he give you, last time he give you one big piece of thai or something like that. Now he chop into a few pieces for you and cut costs lah, basically. And uh, across the board, you really see everything just going up in prices, especially chicken. Lah. We'll talk about cooking oil later. And uh, I think the biggest reason right here is because the government has been introducing price ceilings. Right. And uh, uh, if, if you are familiar with price ceilings, I'm sure you are, Mr. Sunny. It's really counterintuitive la, to, uh, in the long run. It destroys the economy in the long run, which causes uh, shortages because right now the chicken is no longer at the equilibrium point of the supply and demand curve. So we'll touch a bit more on that one uh, later. But we right now we have a speaker over here. Uh, Haikal, you got anything to add on? Yep. Actually, uh, when Mr. Sunny addressed about chicken, uh, one, one specific point that I wish to add is if you look at Dawson statistics, right, you will find that Malaysia actually produces enough chicken for consumption, but then you start to wonder, hey, if that's the case, why are we seeing higher chicken prices? Betul tak? That's the thing. That's the funny thing about Dawson statistics. But if you dig deeper, you realize that we actually import everything relating to chicken feed. So everything that is required to raise the chicken itself is imported. So when you see dollar strengthening and when you see the prices of uh, chicken feed and everything going up, so commodity prices have been going up since uh, for the past few months or even one past few years. So you, you uh, kind of stuck there because even though we raise our own chickens, but the cost of raising chicken has gone up. So it translates to higher price of chicken, lah, which makes us think if we, should, if we want to really focus on our food security, which is a big concern, we shouldn't just focus on raising chickens. We should also look at every aspect of production, uh. starting, from the, starting from raising it until selling it. So that's the thing that we need to look at. Lah. And about palm oil, I also have a few interesting insights that I might want to share later lah because you said later kan. Uh, no, so that's okay. on the line. Do it, do it. Yeah, yeah do it. Do it, do it. Excellent, excellent information. On yeah, this, this is golden, this golden. Yeah. And okay lah, so for, for palm oil, so because of my position, I get to engage with those who are doing the dirty work itself lah. So two things that they always say. Uh, first also, price of fertilizers. Again, which goes back to my earlier point on chicken price. So if we really want to focus on our food security, we need to make sure that everything on our supply line is secured. 
now that you see fertilizer prices are going up and then you have the and then you have everything everything messed up botch up supply chains ukraine war and then you have all this crazy stuff going on and it actually impacts our fertilizer price and another thing that this is malaysian specific lah is uh, cost of labor because we have labor shortages they like cheap labor that's that's uh, that's an open secret lah. no everyone knows that so those are two things that are actually pushing up the price of um, palm oil and remember uh, in march 20 in march recently march 2022 i remember that the price of palm oil was like 8000 per ton now thankfully it has gone down to like uh, 4000 3000 something lah i'm not a i'm not a fcpo trader so i don't follow <laughs> daily prices but it's around there lah which why do you wonder it's because indonesia did something similar to what we are doing with our chicken what indonesia did was that they cut they cut their exports for palm oil and they finally realized that what they are doing is counterintuitive like you mentioned so they open up back and now supply is uh, has finally flooded back the market lah but whether that translates to the decrease in cooking oil in malaysia is a totally different story that one is we go back to what is the sunny uh, said uh, very much earlier in the session it's like okay your oil price is 100 this year next year is still 100 Why? Because uh, producers don't want to lose their margin now that that they have their cost at three thousand and they are set. Uh, for example, their cost is at three hundred and they are at thirty and they are selling at one hundred. Huge margins. So, are we? Are they going to reduce prices? We don't know. Probably not. That's the usual case we see here. But for the commod, for the raw uh, palm oil itself, the price has been going down. Indonesia open up their exports back, but whether that translates to cooking oil price going down, that's a different story altogether. So those are some of my comments lah on these two uh, prices. Thank you, thank you. No, yeah. no, I think excellent. And 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 I and and I think if people take this crisis and like Haikal has mentioned, understand the underlying. Problems and that there is a need to now go down the supply chain and make sure that that we control the whole supply chain. Um, things ha- then and if they change, then this is a blessing. I mean, you know, uh, you know, an event can either be a curse or a blessing. If 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 you know, so we if we take that as a blessing, then we should learn from it. I mean, as an economist, many economists will tell you we we've we've moved away from globalization now. Um, years and years of globalization, where everybody specializes in what they do. So because they get the lowest cost and such, so we fertilizers will get it from Ukraine or where, wherever where it was lower cost. Uh, we would uh, sub out uh, offshore our our some of our manufacturing stuff and stuff. Um, people are realizing that doesn't work anymore, especially in a very um, uh, in a new environment where things are now going to be polarized. Everybody's going to go back to regionalization or, or blocks and stuff like that. Um, and they're re-onshoring some some of the critical stuff. You know, everybody now, for example, is is vying for 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 vaccine manufacturers to have at least one vaccine manufacturer in their countries because hey, if this is going to be an occasional thing, I I don't want to be caught in a situation where I have to go and bid for vaccines or end up with no vaccines for my population, even things like that. So 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 I really hope policymakers understand 
um, from this crisis that these are things that that need to change these are things that need to be implemented and 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 so that we become um, I always say you know um, systems and I've mentioned this before you can have systems which bend and break you can have systems which you you hit it and it rebounds back it's a robust system and you can have systems which like Nasim Talib has mentioned these are called anti-fragility systems systems where you hit it it not only rebounds back but it learns from it and becomes stronger so if 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 the Malaysian policymakers can take this they're being hit left right and center now because of whatever the case is but come back not only in a robust manner but having learned from it then I think we have a bright future except that basically I think confidence in our, our policymakers are maybe not that great not say policymakers sorry but more politicians and I have to say when I say policymakers I know I, I came from, from, from I studied in Malaysia I came from MRSM Kuantan um, um, I have friends who are high up in the in the in the policy making departments and such, and they are bright people. People probably like Haikal and such, and they are, are people who 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 if they go into any place, like for example, into Singapore civil service, and such, I think they will do well. What I'm trying to say is, I think we have the people, or oh, the thing that we may need to 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 to, or the thing that's impeding us sometimes it's 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 the politicians sad to say but i don't want to bring that up because again we are talking about economics yeah (laughs) when it comes to politics that sensitive and shady topic but but haikal if you ever want to go to apply for to be a politician let us know we will vote for you No, that, that, that's, that's what um, if you look at um, Jokowi what he has done he's brought in a lot of new young people yeah yeah. we, we need the young blood lah, basically and uh, young minds that, that really have a, a different perspective not to say that but the perspective is necessarily better but it's just different and you get to see uh, things at different angles lah. but uh, let's stay on topic right here in particular uh, chicken prices I do want to spend a bit more time right here uh, we are reaching 11 o'clock already Let's probably ten, spend about five ten more minutes. Uh. What is the solution here? You know, you, just now we talked about like uh, controlling the supply line and stuff like that. But the government's solution to this quote unquote problem is to just put a price ceiling. And uh, Mr. Sunny, I think we want to discuss more about the price ceilings because at the end of the day, it just causes more shortages and exacerbates the problem even further. But uh, what is the solution here, man? Is do do price ceilings work? I mean, long story short, um, temporarily, temporarily yes, long term no. I mean, there's a distortion between supply and demand when you ever when you put a price ceiling. Someone has to pay for the fact that you you're not allowing uh, so-called market clearing prices. Um, so it's either the the, the supplier pay, uh, pays a price or the or the consumer pays a price. And if the ceiling is placed in such a level where the consumer benefits, then of course the supplier pays the price. Um, and when the supplier pays the price, the big question is, will you stay around if 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 this thing is long term? Are you going to make enough to incentivize you to 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 continue in the business itself? So these are things where where there's a distortion unless the government subsidizes the suppliers and 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 allows him to make back whatever he has lost. Um, date then we have something called a date weight, and 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 it's just at the end of the day, uh, not something which can be sustained. You know, yeah. this is really a nutshell kind of uh, answer. 
Yeah, no, that, that was a very well, well-rounded answer. I, I don't think I could have worded the answer better because it's actually quite a complex uh, topic to talk about when it comes to price ceiling because you have to understand supply and demand, equilibrium point, blah, 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 but we're not going to go through those. Lah, you know. Um, so what's the solution here? Okay, let's say, okay, we, we know price ceilings do not work. And, and, and because the next thing that we have to look at is cooking oil. At the end of the day, the government is going to put a price ceiling on cooking oil and the entire problem repeats again, right? You, you talked about sellers leaving the market, producers don't produce anymore because it's no longer profitable unless the government subsidizes them. But even after the subsidies, you know that the government won't subsidize them enough that it will make the business profitable. So what's the solution here? Should, 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 should the government just not do anything and allow the free market to determine the prices of chicken or, or, or what? I wish I had a answer to that. Yeah, it's um, difficult, right? This this question it's, is... <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult when you make decisions in a crisis. Because <laughs> in a crisis, people are suffering. Yeah. And, 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 and you make decisions, that means it's, it's going to be very difficult. These kind of decisions, in my view, have to be made and have to be planned for outside of crisis. In a very stable environment, you, you make scenarios, you ask yourself, if this happened, am I prepared for it? I mean, like for example, if, if if I'm sitting in a in 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 as a policymaker today, I'm going to instruct Bank Nagara and say, what happens to what happens if um, the ringgit goes to five? Can some can Haika? Can you tell me how many of our corporates will actually come under stress? What happens if interest rates need to go up because inflation is run away now? Um, you know, if our OPR goes up to to six seven percent, and this is not very high because it it maybe it's it was the case 10 years ago, but let's assume um, what happens if we need to spend 6% of our, of our fiscal deficit because what is that going to be a hit on our rating? So I think we need to do this kind of scenario building because we cannot wait until we're in that situation and like, oh no, what's now? Okay, Haita, please go find out. You know, we're ringgit at five now. Can we see what's going on? <laughs> Which is very much the case that I've seen most of the time. Um, um, so, so I'm sorry to answer your question. It's difficult because if I were to say now, we ought to have dismantled. Uh, 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 we ought we ought to have planned earlier. And now, if we do it now, it's just going to hurt a lot of innocent people. Uh, um, you know, yeah, so it's very hard to to answer now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean to to put it at a very simple perspective on what you're trying to say la, for those uh, younger generation out there like me is to uh, you know be like Thanos have the time stone rewind time and prevent the, pro- the problem from happening in the first place yeah so hi yeah. Gao, uh, I just want to you know prod your brain a bit about this uh, chicken prices over here what would you do in the current situation you know will you will you still constrict market prices or <laughs> I, I don't know what's the solution here but is there yeah, anything ma- 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 yeah hi Gao. <laughs> Personally, I'm a fan of free markets. I will admit, even at in work when I am for free market, I try to reduce regulations as much as I can. So if you ask me, I will leave it to free markets. But at the same time, because we are in a crisis, and remember, we are in a democracy. Yeah? I'm not saying that democracy is bad, but we are in a democracy. Every policy you make has a political consequences. So... <laughs> when you are a policy maker and you answer to politicians, right? So you need to try to find a balance between the two. So in one way, I would argue for free markets, I will not go for apple. 
uh, price cap or price limit, price ceiling. But at the same time, temporarily, what I will do is I will do like Singapore, like I will try to source more chicken elsewhere. That's uh, the temporary solution. And of course, the long-term solution is what I've mentioned earlier, to secure our supply lines so that we are not as impacted in the future. Yeah, we need to we need to elect this guy. You know. Any way to get him inside the cabinet right now and talk to the talk to the finance minister or something like that because I don't think they are doing their jobs right. <laughs> Here we have a guy who casually coming into Twitter space proposing this solution to probably the entire nation's problem, right? Chicken prices rising and stuff like that. But, in but just I think, but I think Haika has hit the nail, uh, the uh, hit the nail on the head. Meaning to say, yeah, yeah, we have very bright people in in policy making. It's just that when the political um, uh, uh, aspect comes in, um, it just gets, I don't know, diluted, put aside under other considerations and such. So, so that's the thing. I mean, technocrat, bureaucrat versus bureaucrat, that kind of situation. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we have uh, finally have to come to a close to our session tonight. It's been a wonderful one. Uh, thank you so much, Heiko, for joining us tonight. Really, I hope you go on and apply to be a politician uh, because we are very eager to e- elect you right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I want to thank you like, because I've been following your sessions and your sessions are very insightful, naturally. So thank you for you and Mr. Sunny as well. Like. I enjoyed oh, talking with you. Hey, thank you so much, Heiko. Th- thank you, thank you. We, we will learn from each other like, at the end of the day. I will go right here. So, uh, Mr. Sunny, as usual, yeah. Great, great thing to share tonight. No, no, glad, glad, to, glad to share. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, guys. Stay safe out there. The cases are rising right now, COVID. And maybe you might even consider to get another booster shot. They're really talking about it. <laughs> but yeah, guys, uh, I'll see you guys soon. Okay, right. thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.